Chapter Twenty Nine of Citadel of Fear by Gertrude Barrows Bennett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Citadel of Fear, Chapter Twenty Nine, A Golden Flask. The Black God's reply to Maxatla struck Cullen as highly incongruous. He wondered what the young captain would say to it, and so wondering, opened his eyes. With the suddenness of a blow, the basin, that had been so obligingly transparent as his eyelids, shut in solid around him. The demon face above flashed back into Kennedy's, with its sneer and its enormous glasses. It occurred to Cullen that he had been dreaming. But he did actually lie in that golden basin, and there was actually a hand on his shoulder. By twisting his cramped neck a little, he could see it. If it were Maxatla's, however, that young warrior possessed marvelously delicate fingers. Desiring above everything to identify the owner of that hand, Cullen tried to raise himself. The ropes which had been on his arms were gone, his coat had been removed, and the flannel shirt under it half unfastened. But though free of bonds, he was so weak that the Lord of Fear easily pushed him back and held him there. An aesthetic wearing off he heard Kennedy mutter, and then Maxatla spoke again. "'I shall not go, not without my lord. Between us there is the golden thread that may not be broken.' "'What on earth are you raving about now?' "'You are as discourteous as evil,' she retorted quite calmly. "'When first I saw my lord, that night he came to your pitiful fortress of fear, and I knew that its end was destined, when first I saw him in the passage outside my door, great and kind and noble, then I saw that which glimmered between us. Sentiotl, who weaves the fruit-fields on her looms, spins also the golden thread, for a sign between those who are destined. To not all is it given, but none who receive it may break it. Through all the distance I felt his need calling me." "'Distance!' sneered Kennedy. You can't have got very far away from here in that costume." "'I have been far,' was the retort, given with placid dignity that nothing could shake. "'For my dress it was woven for me by the Lady Astrid, my own dear mother, ere she was taken home by the gods. Into it she wove many charms of love, and because of those charms, while I wear it, no great harm may befall me.' Oh, is that why you've hung on to it like grim death all this time? Lord, I never find out anything about your actions without uncovering a new superstition. You'd be an interesting study, if I had time for it. Now, before you clear out of here, tell me in three words where you have been, and, by Jove, you know what killed Marco, or did you do it yourself? I had no need because I spoke some thoughts of him and the vile passion he called love, because I promised to die before I would mate with him, he loosed upon me the devil-man there. So he was slain by one whom my prayers brought to aid me." The leisurely quiet statement brought an impatient grunt from Kennedy, but for Cullen something at last slid off his conscience that had lain like a deadening weight. Repent Marco's killing? There had been cause, and to spare, for it. He had never supposed that Khan's murderous attack on the girl had not been only countenanced, but commanded. Weakling? So are the rattlesnake and the gila monster, 
but men hardly hesitated to crush them for that. Cullen stirred again, and Kennedy's attention came back to him. "'You go,' he said to the intruder. "'I'll attend to your case later. Go, or I swear I'll loose that on you which prayer won't save you from.' "'I shall not go,' she repeated. "'Is there no warning that you will heed? Have you forgotten how, upon the first visit of my lord, your fortress of fear quivered, groaning in every stone and timber? To one less blind than you, it would have been sign enough that his coming presaged the end. You little fool, this house is centuries old. A place so old as this will often shake and settle by its own weight. You have made it the seat of Nakakiaotl, and only a god could shake it. The lord of the air is patient, but I think that tonight he will set his foot at last on his enemy's neck. A great wind blows without, a great and awful wind. I tell you, the feathered serpent tears even now at the roof-beams of this temple of evil. The end is near, and—ah!' Even Kennedy started, drawing back from the font and casting an anxious eye about his workroom. As on the evening of Cullen's first visit, a long-drawn, grating moan was shaking the very walls, a strange, ominous, vibrating sound that seemed to come from everywhere at once, and brought with it a feeling of nausea and vague terror. It was answered by a hideous, concerted wail from the monstrosities of the swamp. At his master's back appeared Genghis Khan, chattering and cringing. Released for a moment, Cullen sat up. Where he got the strength for that act he did not know, unless it had flowed into him from the fragile fingers on his shoulder. There she stood, his dusk lady, the cloak flung back from her beautiful, worn green gown, one hand still laid on her lord, and on her face the look of a pale young prophetess. "'Warning!' she cried. "'Warning! Maker of hatreds, the end of patience is upon you!' Like a pale young prophetess, the dusk lady stood, but her voice rang on silence, for the groaning sound had passed and with its cessation the creatures of the mire had resumed their habit of quiet. All seemed as before, all as before, save that the swamp's level seemed strangely higher, and over its edge at one side the head of a serpent had appeared. It crept forward a very little way and lay still. Unlike the gatekeeper, this serpent was black, black with a polished gleam, black like the teotetl, the sacred marble from which had been carved a body for the maker of hatreds. As the sound and vibration ceased, and Kennedy's hasty glance discerned nothing come of them, he turned angrily toward the girl. Then he swore, and a moment later had flung both arms about his resurgent captive. But from some source Cullen had certainly derived an influx of energy, enough at least for a struggle. Kennedy addressed a sharp command to his apish ally but Khan held off, cowering back toward the dais, and at last springing upon it to crouch beside its deity. Cullen had one leg over the basin's edge. The immense weight of the font prevented its oversetting, but some of the gold containers set on its ledge went spinning down to roll across the floor. After one futile effort to aid her lord by loosening her captor's grasp, the girl stooped for one of these containers. She took it without selection, at the hazard of desperation. 
All she knew of them was that they held stuff of diabolical power, and a desperate woman is not particular about her weapons. She rose, a gold flask in her hands. It must have held about a pint, and it was carved all over with writhing, lizard-like forms. It possessed a crystal stopper that stuck but could be twisted out. She proved it. Meantime the Lord of Fear recalled that he had other servants than Khan, and raised his head, mouth open for command. It was well for Colin that in the same moment he had wrenched himself fairly free. Calm as she seemed, his dusk lady proved capable of an impetuosity as unconsidered as had more than once carried her lord into trouble. To fling the contents of a flask at two struggling men, trusting to hit the one and miss the other, requires either great recklessness or supreme faith in one's own aim. But impetuosity for once was justified. Because of his sudden efforts and wrenching away, only a few minute drops of the stuff sprinkled Cullen and they on his hand. Though he hastily wiped the hand on his trousers, it was painful for days afterward. Kennedy, however, was less fortunate. He released his prisoner and staggered back with a short, stifled shriek, and it was the last sound, save one, that was to be heard from him. He had clapped both hands over his face, the human hand and the paw, but not before Cullen caught one glimpse of it. A dripping, darkening, purplish expanse, of which the features in that flash of time had assumed the most curiously blurred appearance. A strong odor as of bitter almonds filled the air. It is likely that the liquid in the flask was what Kennedy had referred to as the second solution. Very probably the application of it in this wholly unscientific manner would not have produced the beautiful results that he so much admired. The question, however, is theoretic, for as a subject of this variation of process he did not last long enough to be termed a decisive experiment. As he reeled backward there began a recurrence of that great, inexplicable vibration, and with its coming a wild rage appeared to seize upon the marsh's grisly inhabitants. Transmuted or not, they retained the instinct of beasts to sense disaster, and if they had any share in the intellect of man they displayed it now by behaving as man does in a panic. The rage that gripped them was of fear, not malice. Archer Kennedy, head in arms, limbs wobbling like an animated straw man's, staggered blindly to the pavement's very edge, and instinctively Cullen shouted a warning. But this third effort to save a worthless life was vain. Out of the rushes beyond a slimy mass heaved, lashing out with a dozen squid-like arms. It was hard to conceive how such an acephalous mass of squirming tentacles had ever known a master, but the grace to obey was whelmed under now in a more natural instinct. Panic makes no discriminations. Round the lord of fear a tentacle whipped, clung and contracted, and as it caught him a last sound passed what was left of the man's lips. Cullen heard, the word was pitched in a key so low and different from the other noises, God. Prayer, perhaps, but much more likely habit. It was his favorite ejaculation. Cullen, who, not being God, could not help him, turned away his eyes, and when he looked back a score of nameless, fighting creatures were at the edge, with Archer Kennedy somewhere under them, wallowed down in mud. As he had lived, so he died, without comprehension.
but he was an empty, negligible thing, and behind him he left the real master, the black, discarnate hate for whose will he had been the blind channel. End of chapter 29